Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. This is DJ, one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at The Canteen, one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. We're continuing through our series on the life of David called After God's Own Heart. This week, we look at how David's desire to build a temple for the Lord ended up being turned on its head by God and resulted in a promise beyond David's wildest imagination. So let's listen in to Pastor Blake as he brings us this week's message. All right. Hey, if you got your Bible, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one chapter later than we were last week in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you were here, let me know you were here last week. A couple of you were. Yeah. Uh, it, was who, it, was, it was God's house, right? It was God's house. And we, uh, we, sh- we talked about David bringing the ark of God uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, some mistakes in that. And then giving his whole heart to that in worship and, uh, and, and doing that. And so we're jumping right in to chapter 7, uh, and as we do that, I'm excited, not just for our time in the Word today, but I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm really excited about what God's doing in the life of Christ Community Church. Uh, I'm really excited. We had some ladies uh, this weekend that went to the IF gathering. Um, I, I think they had a good time. It, it, it seems like a couple of, one of them, a couple of them did, um, and it's been, a, it's been a good weekend for them. Uh, guys, uh, here's something coming up for you. Uh, we're just calling it Men's Madness, but that first Friday of tournament games, I think it's March 18th, we're going to open up the church, have games going everywhere, food, uh, come hang out, uh, and, and we just continue to believe, right, that as we get together, guys, ladies, community groups, D groups, kids, students, uh, that God is up to something, and his faithful word is going to change us, all right? So um, let's uh, just jump in with us, right? Today, uh, as we talk about in this series, uh, God, uh, After God's Own Heart, we're talking about a heart that is loved by a father. Heart loved by a father, all right? Um, can I just say this? I think the first verse of 2 Samuel 7 is set in the month of March. I'll make my case. When the king had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. Can you picture the recliner, right? Like, it is March Madness, the, the man is in his palace. He has been given rest from all his enemies. He's, focused on, he's, he's, he's in the zone, right? So I'm convinced this, is, this has got to be March for David. I mean, you don't even have to finish the sentence. That's not even a whole sentence in verse 1. And you're just like, oh, doesn't that sound nice? Is this real life? Like David after the day, like, is this real life? It's like the sentence was supposed to have been interrupted by this collective sigh of relaxing in your favorite place. Or maybe it was like yesterday in the Anybody go outside and just spend time outside yesterday? Yeah, right? It's like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. But how did David get there? How did he get to that moment? The last couple of weeks, we have, we've tagged along with David as he's engaged with the really low feelings of grief and the really high feelings of praise And now verse 1 describes David as settled and at rest. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't that sound good? We want that. 
We want that. We want peace in our lives. We want rest in the Lord. This week I heard uh, Robbie Gallaty say, to feel is to heal. To feel is to heal. David had been on this journey of, of feeling grief, of feeling high praise, and it's brought him to this place of healing and of rest. And, and I heard that, and I, I had to wrestle with it for a minute. I'm like, ah, oh, I've got some problems with that. I've got some theological problems with that. Maybe you do too. You can tell me how you feel. But I don't know if you caught that, right? We all have these feelings, and you're like, but here's part of my problem. Like, I don't control my emotions, Blake. Like, when I feel something, I just feel it. You're right. And yet, Scripture commands us all over the place to be emotional. The greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Or mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Be grateful. Feel gratitude, right? Or, or grieve, but with hope. Do all of these emotional things. These are commands that we are given in Scripture, in scripture even though you don't really control your emotions. So there's a, there's a tension here. But at the same time, thank goodness we don't control our emotions, right? Because it's evidence that there is a God who not only created us with the ability to feel emotions, but also who uses them to help heal our hearts and souls, to turn us into people after God's own heart. He uses our emotions to do that. You say, Blake, there's another problem, though. My emotions can be really fickle. Like, they cannot always be right. Well, like, we can't trust what we feel all the time because our feelings lie to us. You know, that to be true sometimes, too, right? And you're right. We do have an enemy who's really good at, at weaseling in there. But if we believe that God created everything good and he has created us with the, the capacity to emote or to have feelings and emotions, then we must believe that those things are a good thing. And, and we have to discern what are these things from, from God. John, uh, in his letter, 1 John, uncovers more about this reality in one of his letters when he writes this, Little children, I love that image, right? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. Amen. And he knows all things. You see, what moves us as people from ideas to actions is God-directed emotions. That's what moves us from ideas to actions. We have to feel them if we, want to, if we want to heal, if we want to get out on mission with God. And so we've been on this journey with David, right? And if you've, if you've leaned into it, you probably have some of these, these same senses. Two weeks ago, right, the challenge was simple but tough. Find a way to express your grief. Whatever it is, however you do it, take action on your grief. And, and some of you gave yourself to that, right? Like you allowed yourself to feel grief. Last week, the challenge was simple but tough. Physically express your love for God in praise. Sing, cheer, lift your hands as you focus your whole heart on God. And as we take action on these emotions that God has given us, our hearts are reassured by Him, right? Like it's a rainy Sunday and you still wanted to be here. Because there's a reassurance in our hearts that as I feel these things with God and He stays the same, I can actually maybe get on to some action, some mission that He has called me to 
And he's called us to. It's an incredible thing. To feel is to heal because the one directing your feelings is doing the healing. David, as he sits in his palace, was doing some healing. Christ community, I think we are too. I think we are too. So as David is kicked back in the palace, getting ready for the first round of March Madness games, the beauty of that reality hits him. He's able to kind of reflect and take it in and to be introspective. And that emotion is, a, is about to push him back to the mission. God, his Father in heaven, has brought him through a lot of stuff that has allowed him to be at this place of rest and peace. And now he's ready to do something about that. Look at verse 2. The king said to the prophet Nathan, Look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, Go and do all that is on your mind, for the Lord is with you. David looks around and he's like, I've got this incredible palace, this incredible people, this incredible kingdom, and this ark that we've worked so hard and, and we've joined Jesus and bringing back here. Like, it's still sitting outside in a tent. I need to do something about that. This is the, the, the very first moments of the vision of a temple being built to, to house the ark of God. And it's this reality that is true in this moment. When God shows you what you've got, you'll part with what you have. When God shows you what you've got, you'll part with what you have. And in this moment, God had shown David what he had. He had a lot because of the faithfulness of God. And he was willing to part with what he had. You know, incredible moments always follow when, um, when kids recognize how much their parents do for them. One of my favorite examples of this um, at our kids' school, they do this Christmas shop thing. And they're able to come in and buy gifts for their family and their friends or whatever, and it's all discounted prices. But it's amazing to watch kids who really want to get their parents something special. I, if you've maybe volunteered at one, you know how special it is. Or maybe you've been the recipient of one of these gifts. I mean, these kids will squeeze every last penny out of the money that they have in order to do something special for their parents or their grandparents or their siblings. It's really fun to watch. I don't know if you've ever been a part of it. Like, it, is, it is so fun. And to see the joy that comes out of them on Christmas morning, right? When mom or dad or whoever opens their gift. And, and it's just, oh, it's amazing. Because in those little kids' minds, there is no sacrifice that is, is too high once their heart is set on that gift for their parent. David, in this moment of rest, is, is overwhelmed with how nice his palace is, and it brings to mind that the ark of God is still sitting in the tent. All of a sudden, right, he's willing to part with whatever he has to build a permanent place for the ark. And, and Nathan, like every other human being with a pulse, is watching all this. His heart is beating out of his chest, and he's impacted by that. And he says, go, do it, dream big. This is so exciting, right? Do everything that's in your mind, and the Lord's going to be with Like, The Lord is going to want to make this special, I guarantee you, right? This is the moment. This is the moment that David is having. We get to see this in a lot of little moments in life. Maybe it's your son or your grandson, and... They come bouncing up with a ball in his hands, and like, he just, Dad, will you play catch with me? Will you, will you do this with me? Your kids come with supplies in hand, asking if, if you want to make a craft or, or build a Lego house. and like, You can just see it in their eyes. They just so want to be with you as they do this thing together. Or maybe as uh, adults, right, grown-ups, 
It's, it's that moment where you, you have to shop for your parents. One of the hardest things to do, right? Whether it's their birthday or Christmas, you're trying to shop for your parents, and you're like, I don't know what to get them because they, what, have everything they need. Like, I don't know. And so then, like, on the good years, you're like, what can I get them that is sentimental and extra special? And if you have siblings, you're like, how can I win Christmas? And you put your whole heart into that effort, right? It's like, I just, I just want to do that. And, and when that moment hits just right, there is, there is nothing like them. Nothing like them. Uh, I got to watch one of these. It was special just this weekend. Caitlin for Christmas. She won Christmas this year. She did great. She bought tickets to a uh, Beatles cover band for her dad, uh, Eric Loves the Beatles. And the concert was this weekend. And so I knew that it was a win when we started getting texts of videos of the concert. Um, and, and I'm not sure who was having a better time at that moment, Eric at the concert or Caitlin sitting on our couch watching the videos knowing that she had given a good gift, right? You've had those moments. This is the moment that David is in. In those moments, right, you just want to say, you want to say more than yes, You'd give up just about anything to make those moments happen. You'd call off meetings. You'd lay down your phone and pay attention. You'd put off the laundry or the dishes because you realize that what matters is the relationship. You realize that what matters is the love that's being passed between the people. When God shows you what you got, a relationship with him, you'll part with what you have. Here's the problem. It doesn't always go that way in my house. How about yours? Too many times the phrase, in a minute, or the phrase, not right now, reigns supreme. And on the really bad days, I follow those phrases. Notice I just shifted to I, because this is about me. (laughs) In a minute, not right now, I'll get to it, I promise. One of the rhythms that Caitlin and I try to revisit uh, from time to time is asking the kids, how can I be a better parent? (laughs) Too often, most often, the answer is connected to time or not keeping those promises that I've made. But if we turn parenting into an idol or preach another sermon that we're not trying to preach today, let's get back to David. You see, David realized that it didn't matter what he had materially. It didn't matter what he'd had to go through in life. What mattered was that he had gone through all of those things with God. That's what mattered. In the same way that kids want time with you, David wants more time with God. He, he wants the stability of the ark being inside of the temple. He wants to honor the time that they've had together and set, him out, set himself up for more time with him. You see, in this moment, David is saying, I don't care that I had to fight battles against what seemed like impossible opponents. Hello, Goliath. I don't care if I had to to delay my step up the proverbial ladder in my career. I don't care if I had to scrounge for food and shelter while my enemies pursued me. I don't care that I had to be the bigger person time and time and time again. I don't care. I just don't care that I had to go through those things. I don't care if I even have to use my hard-earned money to build a permanent home for the ark. I don't care if the people that I love leave me because I do this. I'll part with anything to be in constant relationship with God. I'll part with anything in order to honor and to cherish our relationship, to have that moment with God where I know that He loves me and I love Him with all my heart. Because when you realize what you've got, 
you'll part with what you have. Could you say the same? Your relationship with the Lord, is it like that? Do you crave that intimacy and that time with Him? When God shows you that you have the opportunity to be in constant relationship with the God of the universe, faithful through the ages, do you part with whatever you have to keep that relationship going? And even as I say that, do you feel a little hesitancy or maybe a pinch? Well, yeah, I'll part with what I have within reason. God, in a minute, I'm in the middle of something in life right now. Right? Hold on, God. Just let me finish this season of life. Once we get through this, we'll get back to church. Once we get through this, we'll re-engage with God's word. Once we, in a minute, hold on. I promise, God, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. We've all said those things, even if we haven't said them out loud. It's a part of being a sinful human being, right? There's good news for you today. There's good news for me today. Your relationship with God doesn't last because of your faithfulness, but His. Your relationship with God doesn't last because of your faithfulness, but His. David, in all of his excitement, thinking that he's come up with the perfect gift to God, building him a temple, God hasn't even responded yet. Would you read the scripture with me? 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 4. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I've been moving around with a a tent as my dwelling. I love this verse. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? It's like I've never even asked for this. So now this is what you're to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. God says, nobody's ever even thought to do this for me, and I've never even asked for it. And you want to do this? Listen, listen, David. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep taking care of you. And then God's like, like the parent that's so excited about the Christmas gift that he has that, that he just can't help it, and some of it comes out. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Say what? I'm going to build the house and the kingdom's going to last forever. Holy cow. Verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. 
Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. And Nathan reported all these words and this entire vision to David. It's an incredible passage of Scripture, incredible moment between God and David. It's endearing to God that, that David would want to build his, this permanent house for the ark. No one had ever even mentioned it, but, but David was a man after God's own heart. You would really want to do that for me, David? He says, look, I don't, I don't want you to spend your time doing that. I want you to spend your time with me. With me. We've been together from the sheep fields to the battlefields. I like being with you better. So I'll tell you what, I'll build the house. And to honor you, I'll even let your son do it. But you and me, let's just be together forever. And then God makes a big promise that's outside of any conditions. It's like, it's like I said, it's giving a big clue about his Christmas present. God just can't keep it in. And he says, I'm actually going to establish the throne of your son's kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Big time promise. Big time news. David's kingdom is going to last forever. And somehow, there's a king that's going to be God's son. Now, we're on the other side of history. We know the story. Jesus is born in the genealogical line of David. He fulfills the promise. His faithfulness is still what preserves your relationship with God today. But can you imagine being in David's shoes on that side of history? He doesn't know that. He has little to no concept of, of Jesus. So why would he believe this promise? Why would he believe this promise? Well, you see, this wasn't the first promise that God had made. Today, we're going to walk through five promises that God made and see how Jesus ties them all together and understand that this promise to David is actually part of a bigger promise to you. Number one, the Noahic covenant a promise that God made to Noah. You remember Noah's story. The world was going crazy. God needed to start over. And he says, I'm going to destroy everything. Noah, I want you to build a big ark. I'm going to save you, your family, and two of every kind of animal, right? Leave everything behind because I'm going to destroy it and build a really big boat. And Noah's like, okay, sounds good. Incredible faith. In Genesis 9-11, after it's over, we read this. God says to Noah, I establish my covenant, my promise with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. That's a big promise. Because instead of destroying a sinful world, God promises to redeem it and to save it. How? We now know through a man named Jesus. Promise number one. Promise number two to, to Abraham, the, the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 12, God says this to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. For some reason, Abraham says, Okay. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Whoa! That's another huge promise from God. Like, Abraham, if you'll leave all these things, if you'll let go of what you have, I'm going to bless you in crazy ways. 
I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless the nation. I'm going to give you a land and a people. I will bless those who bless you. And then that last line, right? All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here's what's crazy. David knew this, right? David understood himself to be part of this family tree. This, this family, he was a part of it. And so he was a part of what would be happening here. He could connect the dots when he was anointed king that maybe, just maybe, God is keeping his promises through what he's doing in my life. He was living in the reality of the promised land. And he was still asking the question, well, how would the descendants of Abraham bless the entire world? And so they might not have known his name, but they knew that only because of Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, that a blessing, a blessing of salvation will be given to anyone who would believe. God keeping his promises in the person of Jesus. Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Moses led his people out of Egypt, right? Part of the Red Sea, Ten Commandments. We know some of the stories, but inside of that, God made him a promise too, a promise that would extend to others. We read about it in Deuteronomy 26. There's a, a summary. It says, Today you have affirmed that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, commands, and ordinances and obey him. And today the Lord has affirmed that you are his own possession as he promised you that you are to keep all his commands, that he will elevate you to praise, fame, and glory above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as he promised. You see, David knew all these stories too. And David knew all the stories of how God had preserved his people through all this time. And the Ten Commandments were, were in the very ark that he wanted to build a temple for. He, he knew the promise that had been made to Moses. And he also knew that his people had broken that covenant. And in breaking that covenant, they needed a savior. Even this covenant that they had broken was pointing to their need for Jesus. In their brokenness, they thought it was a king that they needed, and that leads us to good old David, sitting in his palace. God, showing him how he'd been faithful to bring him to this very point where he's sitting in his palace at rest. Why would David believe God when he said he was going to give his descendants an eternal kingdom? Because time and time and time again, God had faithfully kept his promises. And in fact, it was his kept promises that were now giving David rest. We have the Old Testament, right? Because it shows us that God's promises are kept across generations. God doesn't try to weasel out of it and say, well, that generation died no one will know. No, no, no. Our God is faithful. The question remains, how could there be a king who lasts forever? David wasn't sure how, and he didn't yet know his name, but I think he probably had a clue that it was going to be the same guy who would keep all of those other promises that God had made. When God said, I'll redeem it instead of destroy it. When, when God said, I'm going to bless the entire world through your family. When God said, I'm, I'm going to set this new law in your heart, right? Like, when I'm going to give you a kingdom that lasts forever with a king who lasts forever. I think they knew. We're looking for someone. A Messiah who is Christ the Lord. But he wasn't done. He wanted to make sure that you, yes, you, specifically you, knew that there's a promise for you too. Israel ends up in exile because human kings don't make good gods either. They end up ignoring God because you can't obey what you can't hear. 
And Israel didn't even want to hear. And the question will be today, do we? Because even when Israel's disobedience had led to exile and misfortune, the prophets knew God would keep his promise. And his promise extends to you. We see it at least once in Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31 and following says, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. This is the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. Do you notice he keeps saying, look, this is the Lord talking. He is talking to you. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. That promise is for you from the God of the universe. And since this covenant is entered into by faith, all who believe can reap its rewards. So let me run down the list of rewards for you real quick. He promises to make an everlasting covenant with his people in which he will write his law on their hearts, in which he will bring complete forgiveness of sin, in which he will put his spirit, the spirit of God inside of people to empower them to love and obey his commands. He promises to raise up a faithful Davidic king to rule over them, to bring them back into the land, to reunify them into one people of God and cause them to be a light to the nation. And now this new promise ties together all the promises, and those people are you. So in case you didn't hear it the first time, let me make it a little more personal. If today you turn from your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, God, the God of the universe, promises to write his law on your heart. You know because of who God is and his promise to you what good and wrong is because of his promise to you. He promises to forgive you of your sins. He promises to put his spirit in you. You are now the tent that he travels in. He promises to empower you to love and obey his commands so that they aren't burdensome. He promises to give you a king that will never leave office, never be defeated, and will always do the right thing. I'll take that. He promises to bring you together as one people, a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, every shade of brown and white, every language you can imagine, together saying, that's my God. He promises to do that in your life if you simply believe. He promises to make you a light to every other neighbor and nation that is yet to know Jesus as the keeper of promises and the giver of life. That's all for you. And if you think about those things, you can't realize that the God of the universe just wants to spend time with you and be with you and have an intimate relationship with you. Check your pulse. When God shows you what you've got, you'll part with what you have. When God shows you what you've got, you'll part with what you have. And that's David's response, too. David's overwhelmed by God's response. 
We're going to read it, but in a sense, he says, I'm in. I want to be with you. Your plan sounds way better than mine, God. I want to help you with that, Dad. In the rest of chapter 7, David calls himself God's servant ten times. He's like, whoa, God, that was way bigger than I ever imagined. All the visions, all the dreams, this big temple I was going to build. Wow, what you're talking about is way better. You can have everything everything that's mine that I would even pretend to call mine, you can have it all to make your plan happen. From this moment forward, David's kingship is about who and about what's next. It's focused on what's to come because God has already proven faithful in keeping his past promises. God's mission becomes David's mission. Get ready for an eternal kingdom. That sounds way better than his plan anyway, right? Is that true for you? Is that true for me? And is that true for our church? Because if God is showing us that he has promised us this, this eternal kingdom with, with a king and all the things that we've talked about, right? Like when we see what we've got, are you willing to lay down everything, part with what you have to join in on that? See, when God shows me that I can be a part of building his forever kingdom, my plans seem pretty small. When you realize what you got, you'll part with what you have. Church, from this, from this moment forward, may everything about Christ Community Church's existence be about who and what's next, completely focused on our mission to join Jesus in going out to make disciples. We're going to talk about why that falls right in line with God's plan. First, join Jesus. Join, because he will show the way. David David's response, beginning in verse 18, says, Then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence, and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you've brought me this far? What have you done so far? Uh, was, what you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God, for you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things. To your servant. David says, wow, whoa. I surrender. I will join you. We talked about how this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. I love Luke 3, verses 21 and 22. It's talking about Jesus' baptism. It says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Notice that language? I will be his father and he will be my son. How do you join Jesus? The first is simply to be baptized. To, to join your life with his. To say, my plans, everything about what I want to do, all that is mine, I lay it down in a watery grave and come up a new person and I say that everything about my life is his. We join Jesus. When we take communion each week, which we're going to do here in just a few moments, it's a continuation of that commitment. It's, it's a continuation of joining Jesus, of saying together, like, when I take this, this juice and this bread, I'm remembering the cross because on the cross, God made all these promises come true. And so I just join my life to his. His plans are bigger than my plans. We join Jesus. Number two, we go outside because that's where Jesus is. 
David continues in his prayer, verse 22. This is why you're great, Lord God. There's no one like you and no other God beside you, as, we all, as all we have heard confirms. And who is like your people, Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself, and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people. You redeem for yourself from Egypt. You establish your people, Israel, to be your own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. David remembers all these things, right? God, you've been doing this. You've already worked, and you are going to continue to do that if we keep going with you. I love in Acts chapter 1, Jesus showing us what this looks like. Jesus says to the disciples right before he goes up into heaven, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, you have to go but I'm going to give you power through my spirit living in you, right? The ark, the tent right there inside of you. And, and then I love when you skip down. It says, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. Wow, this is great. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Get going. Go. Christ community, we've always talked about going outside. People come, like, that's one of the things they love, right? We go outside. That is on you to take ownership, take action, take initiative, to throw the Frisbee. How are you throwing the Frisbee to someone? What are you inviting someone into? How are you going outside? Join Jesus. Go outside. Make disciples. We make disciples because it promises his presence. It promises his presence. David, as he's praying, right, he, he realizes, I just want to be a part of God's plan. He's already been at work, so I, I need to go with him. In verse 25, now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you've made to your servant and, and his house. Do as you have promised so that your name will be exalted forever. When it is said, the Lord of armies is God over Israel, the house of your servant David will be established before you. Since you, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now please, bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. David says, man, I want to join you. I know that I need to go with you because you've already been doing these things. And at the end of it all, like, God, just do what you say you're going to do. Like, keep these promises. I want to be with you forever. How can we guarantee that we, that we are with God? How can we guarantee his presence in our lives? Let me take us to another moment right before Jesus returns to heaven in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus, again, talking to his disciples, says, Go. That sounds familiar. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Now we're joining in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And then look at this. Remember, <coughs> choked up. I'm with you always to the end of the age. You want to guarantee, Jesus says, that I'll be with you? Get a few brothers or sisters together, each coming to share what God is teaching them in the Word, each learning to obey what He's teaching, each joining Jesus, going with Him, and I guarantee you God is going to show up. He's going to show up. 
if you will commit yourself to making disciples. It promises his presence. Will you do that here with us? Our D groups, it's how we learn to make disciples. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how to be a disciple. I don't know how to make it. I don't know who I would disciple or who needs to disciple me. Community groups help you find people who can either disciple you or that, that you can disciple. Let us help you connect with one of those. Students, it's what Sunday nights at Edge are for. People discipling you, pouring into your life super intentionally. You're like, I know I need to be making disciples. I'm not sure what that looks like. Make disciples by serving in our next-gen ministries. Like, you want to talk about a next generation that is growing up and needs the word of the Lord faithfully planted in their lives. Disciple them. They are there waiting for you. Join. Go. Make. Join. Go. Make. This roller coaster of a ride that we've been on, the good times and the bad, the high moments of worship, the low moments of grief, all of those things lead to God healing our hearts and placing us right back on mission, taking action, join, go, make. I love the visual of David, right? He goes from sitting in his recliner to verse 18 that says, Then King David went in, and sat in the Lord's presence. He sat in the Lord's presence. As I thought about that verse, the Lord took my mind back to riding in a John Deere tractor with my grandpa Jerry. My grandpa Jerry had two sons and six grandsons. All of them rode in a John Deere combine with him at some point. Like, it was a family thing. You had to have the picture. It was a glorious day when it happened because I grew up in the middle of a cornfield, so you You'd learn which field he was in. That was uh, some crazy direction sometimes. Oh, yeah, just fall 375 south down to 1400 north, take two, two, three, and he'll be right there in the cornfield. Like, okay, I don't know where he's at. But you'd find him, and you'd pull up, and you'd drive down this long country road. And once you found him, you'd have to sit there and wait, right, because he's, he's picking corn. And so you'd watch as the combine moved up and down the rows, picking the crop. The anticipation building. So excited that you couldn't stand it because at some point you knew John Deere Jerry was going to pull over in the combine real close. And that door was going to swing open. And he was going to invite you into the cab. And you were going to help drive the combine and pick the corn. Sitting on his lap. This is the moment that David had with the Lord that day. Sometimes moments just sear into your heart and mind. Moments like a grandpa welcoming you at the top of a combine ladder is one of them. Big old cockeyed grand, hands extended, no question in the world that he loved you. And there was no way you were saying no. Actually, I changed my mind, grandpa. I don't want to get in the combine today. Give me just a minute. No, no, no. Because once you realize what you got, you'll part with what you have. The Lord loves you in that way, faithfully across generations. The creator of this universe loves you. He's loved you for a thousand generations. He's slow to anger, quick to love. And he's inviting you to come enjoy his presence forever. 
join him. The band's going to come, and we're going to sing a song that you've probably heard. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. In all of your ways. If you believe that today, you have no reason not to join him. You have no reason to part with whatever you have to be on mission with him, to join, to go, to make. If you truly believe that he's a good father and you are loved by him. If you need to join your life to him today, first in baptism, man, we would love to help make that happen. You can turn from your sin and say, I'm leaving everything about the old life in the watery grave, and I'm raising myself, like God is raising me up to a new life. If you've already done that, if you're a baptized believer in Christ, we invite you to take communion, right? The continued commitment of that to saying, just as Christ died on the cross, I recognize that he died for me. And because of that, I can part with whatever I have to live life with him forever. Would you join in this morning as we respond to his word? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. You keep all these promises. And in keeping these promises, we're reminded that we have a good, good father in heaven who is faithful across a thousand generations. May we worship you because of that. May we join you because of that. May we join our lives to you in ways that we never have. Joining in to what you're already doing, going with you to places we've never gone to share the good news, making disciples, maybe for the first time in our life. Joining, going, making, because of the intense love and emotion that you have created in us. Thank you for healing our hearts, Lord. If there are hearts here today that still need your love and your salvation, I pray that you give them the courage to, to make that decision. And Lord, for those of us that have come into that relationship and maybe we've walked away from it for a season or we've just kind of been lackadaisical in that, I pray that today would be a marker in the sand where we come back to you and we say, no more, no more. I realize what I've got and I'll part with what I have to keep my relationship with the Lord the priority. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, we hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in and experience Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.